standard issue for all women. Hello there, Mickey here. Welcome to this week's Chops. If you're coming at this fresh on Friday, you might be thinking, what the billio is this? Is she mad? Is she back on the glue? Chops don't happen until Sunday. And you'd be right. Also, great use of billio. Monday the 28th of September is International Safe Abortion Day and our hard-working, very tired friends at Alliance for Choice got in touch to let us know that while the usual March for Choice can't happen this year because pandemic, they've got some activities lined up over the weekend to celebrate it. So we thought we'd do a chops a couple of days early. It seemed the perfect opportunity to have a catch-up about where abortion rights are at in Northern Ireland, with our neighbours in Ireland and in Gibraltar, Malta and Poland. And so in this podcast, Hannah and I are talking to Daniel Roberts of Northern Ireland's Alliance for Choice, Anna Carnegie of Ireland's Abortion Rights Campaign, Selena Victory of No More Shame and Gibraltar for Yes, and that's for Gibraltar, ofs, and of course, the powerhouse that is Abortion Support Network's Mara Clark. The Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynaecologists puts it like this. Every girl and every woman has the right to health and to do what she chooses with her body. These rights affect her personal development, her livelihood, her participation in society and determine whether her family and community thrives. We could not agree more. But the sad fact is that 64% of women of reproductive age across the world do not have access to an on-request abortion. And just to make it clear, the most common gestational limit for countries that do have on-request abortion is 12 weeks. After that, it's a very murky game. Oh, and in case you're wondering, the UK is not in that category. Instead, we're one of the countries that allow abortion on what's classed as broad social or economic grounds. Malta is one of 26 countries in the world where abortion is prohibited altogether, and Poland currently allows an abortion, and I quote, to preserve health, which in Poland currently means abortion is illegal except in cases of rape, incest, severe fetal abnormalities or in cases where the mother's life is at risk. And anti-choice campaigners over there are working hard to seek to outlaw abortions in the case of those fetal abnormalities. It's worrying, to put it mildly, so huge props to Abortion Support Network for starting Abortion Without Borders to help women and pregnant people in Poland and Malta. Mara tells me about that later. I'll leave you with this. According to the World Health Organization, 23,000 women die of unsafe abortion each year and tens of thousands more experience significant health complications. Legal restrictions on abortion do not result in fewer abortions. Instead, they mean women risk their lives and health to seek out unsafe abortion care. The Centre for Reproductive Rights nails it, as you might expect, saying the legal status of abortion indicates more than just where women and girls are legally permitted to decide whether to carry a pregnancy to term or not. It also reveals how likely a woman is to die from unsafe abortion, whether girls will complete their education and the limits on women and girls' ability to participate in public and political life. In short, tracking the legal status of abortion shows us where women and girls are treated with equality and afforded the opportunity to direct the course of their own lives. I am joined on the phone by the founder of the Abortion Support Network and woman surely up for the title of most determined bird ever, Mara Clark. Hello. Hello. Um, cluck, cluck. <laughs> <laughs> So Mara, let's get straight to it. How has COVID affected abortion access? Well, there's the good, the bad, (laughs) and the ugly. The good is that all the governments and health authorities that were like, telemedicine, abortion pills by post, no, no, that can never happen. And then suddenly COVID happens and it's like, oh, actually, yes, this can happen. Which is brilliant because in our work, which is in countries with bad or no abortion provision, abortion pills by post facilitated by NGOs like Women Help Women and Women on Web is pretty much how many, many, many women and pregnant people around the world have access to safe abortion, and the World Health Organization has these pills on their essential medicines list. So not just safe, but essential, even outside of clinical settings. So that's been kind of brilliant to see. The other thing that's been brilliant to see is that it used to be in countries with bad abortion laws, like Malta, like Poland, like Ireland, like Northern Ireland, like Andorra, When somebody needed an abortion, if they had money, it was no problem. You know, they could travel, they could get access 
they could pay, you know, an underground illegal provider or they could get to another country that had good abortion provision. And it was only the poor and the marginalized who were really impacted by these awful laws, which is why we exist. But COVID has made it so that everybody facing an unintended pregnancy who needs an abortion knows the full impact of these laws. So it's been a leveler. It has been a leveler. And that, to me, is a positive thing. Yeah. Um, Then there's all the negative things, (laughs) which is that some countries with bad access started having worse access. Some countries tried to use COVID as an excuse to make bad laws worse, like Poland, which currently has like the fourth worst abortion law in Europe. They they were really vying for the the first worst. (laughs) Um, so, and, and, and actually, they're, 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 they're throwing that out again. They're basically trying to make it so that one of the two circumstances in which you can have an abortion legally, they want to make that criminal. So it's like, you know, kick a girl when she's down, Poland. No bad time to be a misogynist. Go. <laughs> and then also there's all these things like there's reduced attendance of people at their jobs because they are quarantining or isolating or caring for children or whatever. So suddenly it just becomes more difficult to have abortion appointments, to get to the appointment. And if you're talking about needing to travel across international borders, it used to be that you could get an abortion in like one to two days, meaning you leave your house and you come back one to two days later. But during COVID with all the planes and trains and buses and airport closures and everything else, some of these trips were taking like four or five, six days. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. And yet, and yet, despite all those obstacles, during the whole course of COVID, there were only two people who we were unable to help. That's amazing. Because of COVID. It is amazing. And, and it's not just us. You know, there's Abortion Support Network. We have our Abortion Without Borders Initiative, which is six organizations helping people from Poland. And don't get me wrong, I'm sure there are many people who just didn't bother to try. In the last couple of weeks, we've seen an uptick in people who are more than 20 weeks pregnant, which if you do your math, are pregnancies that happened at the start of lockdown. Right. And why are they coming to the fore now? What's changed that they're able to seek help now? I mean, I think the kids are back at school. The airports are open. Yeah, yeah. You know, and also, of course, we know that a lot of people were in lockdown with abusive partners. We know there was a spike in domestic violence, which means there's a spike in domestic, uh, in a reproductive coercion and partner rape and all the other lovely things that keep us all up at night. But what I will say is a lot of people are like, oh my God, COVID must have made things so difficult. And for us, we're like, just one more obstacle, throw it on the pile. Yeah. I mean, is that just because you've been doing this hurdle race for so long that another hurdle just feels like, well, okay, we're going to have to get over that as well. I mean, yeah, we thought the Iceland volcano was going to be our biggest story. (laughs) The thing is, is that, you know, we had somebody who took 60 hours of buses and trains from Poland to Holland to get an abortion. That is what somebody will do. Yeah, Yeah. And, and, and we used to see that in the States, you know, you get the Greyhound bus across several state lines and you sleep in a bus station and you do what it takes. And it's horrible. It's inspiring, but it's also really, really awful. And we dream of a world when everybody who needs an abortion can get one without a form of public transportation more extensive than a city bus. Exactly. I was going to ask you about money because I can only imagine that the cost of seeking abortion access has gone up. Yes. Um, In fact, (laughs) our cost per client has gone up by 441 pounds during COVID. Wow. That is a huge leap. Yeah, so I think our average grant is about eight nine hundred pounds per person now. So it's doubled, more than doubled. Yeah, give or take. I mean, our average grants have gone up over the years, partly because we have more money now, so we don't, we, you know, we don't have to tell people, oh, don't don't pay rent this week. Yeah. <laughs> or, um, <laughs> do you have any laptops or mobile phones? Sell them. <laughs> you don't need a family car, you know. So so now we only have to ask people to give what they can give reasonably. But also, for the most part, the people who we are funding are in the second trimester of pregnancy, which is a more expensive procedure um, because most of the people in the first trimester or up to sort of like 12 weeks or so can access tablets, these safe, safe medical abortion pills 
So we're talking about more expensive procedures in general. And then, of course, with COVID, there was the fact of instead of being able to fly from Poland to somewhere, you would have to take a bus from Poland to Berlin and then fly from Berlin to the UK or take a bus and train to the Netherlands. And there were very few flights, so those flights were quite expensive. And then let's not even talk about the documentation to get people across borders. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, um, uh, you know, and then, you know, situations like the woman who showed up to her hotel in Liverpool that we had booked and paid for to be told that, oh, gosh, so sorry, all of our rooms are being used for homeless people and key workers, which is great for homeless people and key workers. Yeah. But um, was a bit of a stumble for this woman who'd never traveled before and had limited English. But we figured it out, you know, and uh, I will I will say that the hotel receptionist was hugely helpful and actually drove her to the alternative accommodation. Oh, that's good. Good people are out there. Yeah, 100%. And also, we know that this is the start of the impact of COVID on abortion, right? Because, first of all, we don't know what's going to happen with the second lockdown. We don't know what's going to happen with virus mutations. And also, we're pretty certain we're going to slide into a pretty serious global economic recession, which is going to impact people's decisions about whether or not to add to their families. Yeah, of course. But it's all fine. (laughs) It's all fine. Like we're just going to, we're just going to keep hanging out and answering the phone and the emails and the text messages and helping people who need abortions and can't afford them get abortions. I tell you what, Mara, if you ever decide to leave Abortion Support Network, then I think head of MI5, absolutely yours for the taking. (laughs) I mean, my kid has all sorts of things that they use to describe my work. Human trafficker, (laughs) specialized travel agent, um, logistics specialist. (laughs) They have some good, good phrases. Remind us who Abortion Support Network looks after, because you are across a range of countries now, right? Mm-hmm, 100%. So we started with Ireland, Northern Ireland, and the Isle of Man in 2009. And then on Valentine's Day of 2019, we opened to Malta and Gibraltar. And then on the 11th of December 2019, just in time for the next global pandemic, we launched as part of the Abortion Without Borders initiative to people in Poland. And that is a group of six organizations in four countries, Poland, Germany, the Netherlands, and the UK, working together to help people in Poland access abortions. Because Poland is uh, bigger than all of our other jurisdictions put together. Yeah, it's huge. I always forget how big it is. It's huge. Pretty big. Also, especially during covid We've been hearing from people in other parts of Europe, a lot of Europe only has abortion access in the first trimester on request. They only have on request abortion. Um, So we have started to hear from people like we heard from a teenager in France who was over 20 weeks pregnant and had to travel. We heard from a refugee in Spain, you know, and we're expecting that we're going to start receiving more calls and we will we will take them on a case by case basis in terms of whether or not we're able to help them. Because my my goal is to have an all-European abortion fund where we help and encourage groups in countries to, like, set up their own little abortion practical support organizations. And we just sort of, like, have this network of people helping people get abortions. So what's the score generally with abortion rights? Are you feeling positive? (laughs) (laughs) okay so first of all i always always look for the positive in situations you know a cheerleader abortion fairy godmother reporting for (laughs) reporting for duty on the one hand as i as i said i think there are some aspects of covid that might actually help people reconsider their standpoint on abortion rights Mm -hmm. it's one thing to be like um Nobody should be able to have an abortion. And another thing to be like, oh, shit, if I need one, I can't have one either. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the number of people who are like, I'm, I, I was totally against abortion until, yes, you know, people yeah. calling us for help. So I'm hopeful about that. I'm hopeful about wider spread use of pills by post, which will help a lot of people access terminations. I mean, just the fast of like childcare and getting into the GP or the doctor or whatever. 
The Republic of Ireland is having their three-year law review in May of 2021. Wow, three years, man. Three years since the referendum. Yeah. And it'll be two and a bit years since provision, because provision started on the 2nd of January 2019. And we've been contacted by a number of organizations that are putting together submissions for that law review, and we're, we're sharing our data left and right. So I'm hopeful that at the very least, the medically unnecessary three-day waiting period can be abolished, and also the fact that women who take early medical abortion pills in Ireland and the abortion fails are then sent to England on their own dime to pay for procedures. Okay. When it works, they're great, but sometimes they don't work. And what Ireland should be doing is giving those women surgical abortions, not being like, whoops, you're over 12 weeks, get thee to England. The Isle of Man does have abortion provisions and has since, not this past May, the May before. So that's fantastic. We still get the odd call from somebody who doesn't know that there's abortion there. Gibraltar was supposed to have a referendum right before, well, during COVID, that was postponed for COVID, and 73% of people said that they were going to vote to liberalize the abortion law. Oh, that's good. That is good. Um, Northern Ireland, (laughs) let's just say the situation can't get worse. Oh, fucking poor Northern Ireland. Seriously, it's just... I mean, they made abortion legal. They just haven't commissioned services, and they're still putting anybody over nine weeks, six days pregnant on a plane, or most people. So I am hopeful that at some point they do something about that. And I know that our friends at Alliance for Choice are working very, very hard to make that happen. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Yes, I'm positive. Because if I, if, I if I couldn't see the bright side, I wouldn't be able to do this work. And the best thing about this work is how many people are supportive of this work. Like, our money comes from private individuals who give us a bit here and a bit there. And, of course, we've heard from people saying, like, oh, gosh, sorry, I've lost my job because of COVID, so can I cancel my standing order? But we're in the middle of running a campaign, and over 70 people have signed up to give a standing order. So it's like people really understand the impact that, being forced to continue a pregnancy that you that you don't want can have on somebody yeah. and and they're stepping up and that's beautiful it's super beautiful and you've got an exciting launch on monday the 28th of september is that right we do we do tell me more <laughs> i will so <laughs> you know the people who follow us who are on our twitter or on our facebook who get our newsletter like we share client case studies that talk about what is faced by people. But we really want to bring that home to more people, to a wider audience. So our chief exec, Ruth, had this idea of making a kind of a choose-your-own-adventure But instead of being like a cave explorer, you are a woman in the Republic of Ireland who has found out that she is over 12 weeks pregnant and she needs to figure out how she can have this abortion. Yeah. It's an interactive tool that sort of takes you through the reality. It's built on the collective experiences of many of our clients, you know, starting with you pee on a stick, (laughs) you are pregnant, you don't want to be pregnant. Where do you go for information? Your EP or the internet? And then depending on what you choose, it takes you through different pathways. You can, you can go back and start again. Should you not like your outcome or should you want to try, you know, if you want to sort of feel what it would be like to take different choices and see where those would lead. So we're pretty, I, I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like it done. So we're kind of super excited about it. Because we really want people to, it's, it's, people are like, oh, but you can just travel. Well, maybe you could. Yeah. But yeah. Some, pe- some people couldn't. It's such a great initiative because it, it will actually put people in those women's shoes. And I, I, I think yeah. that will hopefully, like, I'm sure this is exactly why you're doing it, increase understanding of how difficult a journey it is, both mm. literally and emotionally. It's not just the money. Like, if it were just the money, it would be it would be a different thing. But it's also like, who in your life can you tell? Who do you have to keep it a secret from? Can you take the time off work? 
Do you have the correct travel documents to allow you to travel from point A to point B? Who's going to watch your kids? What are you going to tell the person who's going to watch your kids? Where are you going to borrow the money from? What's the interest on that? How are you going to pay it back? How are you going to pay it back without your partner finding out? Can your partner, it's, it's, there's just so many, there's so many layers. Yeah, we forget sometimes because this is all we deal with that other people don't necessarily understand. Mm-hmm. Mara, where can people find out more about Abortion Support Network, please, and chuck some cash <laughs> at you if they've got it spare? Oh, yeah, we'll take all the cash. Any, <laughs> any currency, any denomination, like we are really a crowdsourced organization. And, you know, we have people who give us a pound a month and we are delighted by them. Our website is ASN for Abortion Support Network dot org dot UK and we are at Abortion Support on Twitter and on Monday we will have links to this um, interactive feature which is called Searsha's Story. Um, Searsha for everybody who sees that spelled and has no idea how to pronounce it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is where we are and we are just going to keep on doing our thing and we're going to keep on being grateful for people like yourself and the standard issue who care enough to report on this issue well thank you for as i said at the top being the most determined bird ever and thank you (laughs) so much for chatting with me pleasure i am joined on the phone by danielle roberts from alliance for choice hello danielle how the last few months been for you been very different (laughs) (laughs) absolutely perhaps we could start with if you could just refresh people's memories because this year has been really hard to hold on to everything that's going on what the current situation is in northern ireland for women who are seeking an abortion while abortion was decriminalized almost a year ago on the 21st of october 2019 we haven't seen the regulations brought in to force really so at the minute there's only an interim measure which was brought in because of the COVID-19 pandemic. So there are around five clinics which are all NHS offering early medical abortion up to 10 weeks even though the regulations provide for access on request up to 12 weeks that hasn't been commissioned. So at the minute we're in a kind of wait and see position. So they brought in um, early medical abortion up to 10 weeks but because the Department of Health hasn't commissioned the service, it means there's no training for healthcare providers, there's no funding for healthcare providers. We're basically relying on, on conscientious providers um, doing this. The government, the Westminster government, is still funding travel and treatment for those who travel to England for abortions. But for a while, at the very start of lockdown, this meant people have to get a EADR freight ferry to access abortion care because there was no flight, there was no other way of actually travelling. While flights are back up and running now, it still isn't acceptable that travelling to England is an alternative whenever we have the regulations that would provide for abortion care that would be local. And the Department of Health here is dragging its heels and not commissioning the service. There's also access for later term for people who have received a diagnosis of fatal fetal anomaly and there's mixed reports anecdotally on that that some people have been able to get treatment other people have had to see several doctors because the doctors are concerned about following following the law and covering their own backs which is understandable because the department of health hasn't actually commissioned any services so we're in a sort of patchy service provision area at the minute with people still traveling and still ordering pills um, from women on web and women health women but at least now people who order pills are decriminalized and aren't breaking the law anymore but presumably at some point the people who were traveling were breaking at least the rules with the lockdown i mean covid must have had a terrible impact on access to travel for women in northern ireland all right mickey here with an advert for better health therapy online you all right Such a small question, and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression, and while over time, and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, 
and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, is it? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seemed to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution, in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up, and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Yes, so it depends how you interpret essential travel. Yeah, that's the um, point. <laughs> so is travelling for healthcare essential? Well, if you have to travel to access healthcare, then yes, it's essential. But if the service can be provided legally without you needing to travel, then it seems really counterproductive to force people to travel during a pandemic. So it was putting the people travelling at risk. It was putting the healthcare workers they were visiting at risk. It was unnecessary at the same time as across Great Britain and in the South of Ireland, telemedicine was being brought in to avoid people making unnecessary journeys. Yeah, We don't have telemedicine here. We don't have abortion services in very many areas. There is currently one provider in each trust area. Wow. But it's not easy to find out where. And it's, um, yeah, and at the minute, it is only those interim measures for up to 10 weeks, which is you know, very short, especially when the regulations allow for 12 weeks, given that most people don't know they're pregnant until you know, four or six weeks yeah, at least, but possibly later. So there's no reason for the 12-week limit medically, but it's what's in the regulations. I don't think anybody, well, I would hope that nobody would argue against travelling for healthcare as being an essential reason, because it is. But for a while, there simply were no planes. There were no flights to get. So it was that, that eight-hour freight ferry to, to Liverpool was the only way of actually travelling. During that time, we had the post by post from BPAS as well, the pilot project that they did, which meant some people were able to have a consultation with a BPAS um, midwife or doctor on the phone or video call and get pills in the post. The same way as telemedicine is done in, well, in GB now but in other places before now and that hasn't been ruled out unfortunately so we know there are people still ordering abortion pills but even for a while there was a real issue in them getting to Northern Ireland because like the worldwide post wasn't happening so there was a, a short while where there was going to be a shortage of pills so luckily the situation was so dire we had a woman who had been denied an abortion an early medical abortion and then attempted to take her own life as that was the sort of situation people were in but luckily the government here has made some steps and brought in the interim measures but it's far from what was in the regulations and the regulations themselves are too restrictive from a Lancer Choices point of view anyway, but what service is actually in place is even less. Can I ask you about public opinion on this? We were talking on the podcast this week about, you know, what's happening in America, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg and how Roe v. Wade may be at risk. 
in America, it's never been settled. It was settled legally, but nonetheless, there was still and has remained very active opposition. Can I ask, since you had the change in Northern Ireland, how have you seen people's opinion, sort of the general public's opinion of abortion have, do you feel like you have crossed a Rubicon or do you feel like this is going to be an ongoing battle for you? I think it's going to be an ongoing battle everywhere. There will always be people who oppose bodily autonomy and access to abortion. And quite often they're you know, pretty well-funded and vocal groups. Yeah, it certainly isn't the end. Our Saturday stall hasn't been out during the pandemic because... It's just not worth the risk of people going and interacting with lots of members of the public. We haven't had a lot of face-to-face interaction that we would have had previously. Mm. But I think there's a sense that you know this people think this has been sorted until they or somebody they know actually needs an abortion and goes to the doctor and finds out the regulations haven't been put in place and it's not as settled as people might think. It is something that has been getting some media attention, um, but as I guess with everywhere at the minute, um, the pandemic is, you know, obscuring everything else. Yeah. So I think there is a general opinion that people have seen the headlines and decriminalisation last October and think that it's all worked out. And we know historically opinion polls, like the Northern Ireland Lifetime Time Survey, which it's wrong of me to say it's an opinion poll because it's a, a academically robust survey similar to the, the British Public Attitude Survey. And it shows that 70% plus of people and um, supported decriminalisation and supported change. We do know that around 500 people have been able to access abortion since the regulations came into force at the start of April. So that is that is really something that's 500 people who didn't have to travel, yeah. which is huge. It will be interesting to see the statistics for the number of people who have still had to travel as well. I was surprised when I heard the 500 number because I suppose maybe because we hear from the people who have problems in access and abortion. Yeah. So I was of the opinion that what I'd heard was that it was a lot more difficult. But I guess there's more conscientious providers out there than, than maybe we know about. And... That's it's really positive. Um, we don't know how many of those were before 10 weeks. We don't know how many of those were for fetal fetal anomalies. We don't have that, that sort of information. But um, there are people who are able now to get access to abortion. But there are many who can't. And this weekend is what would have been the March for Choice. So March for Choice is normally on the Saturday closest to International Safe Abortion Day on the 20th of September. You know, normally that's a massive show of, of public support for abortion rights. And this year we can't physically be marching, but there's a whole weekend of, of online events planned. Hopefully people will be vocal and show and support. Well, tell us how people can get involved in those things. On the 25th, in the evening, we have a colouring in session. So Shannon Patterson from Alaska Trace Dairy has designed some really lovely adult colouring in sheets. So on the theme of the theme this year's care at home, because well we're yeah. at home <laughs> and we should be we should be able to get care at home, and we know that not everybody or far from everybody is able to get abortion access locally. We also think we should have telemedicine and home use, and we don't have that either. So there's a few levels to the care at home theme, but um, the Friday night session is, the idea is you print out some of the colouring in sheets and get yourself a a cup of tea or a beverage and log into Zoom and have some chat and colour in your your pro-choice artwork to put up in your window the next day. So that's the Friday night. The Saturday we have, which would have been the day of the march, we have some kids' activities going up. So we have a, a story time and some principal kids' activities, like a word search, so people can do that at their own time. Then we have abortion pills workshop. So how how to support somebody who's using abortion pills. That's at one. 
and then at three we're going to hear from some abortion providers and find out what barriers they're seeing um, and hear from their perspective. Saturday night we're doing a co-video party. So Alison Spittle isn't hosting this one but Chad's given us her blessing. So she's been hosting these throughout lockdown. Basically everybody watches the film at the same time and tweets along. So um, that's happening on Saturday night. We're going to watch Reverse and Row which was picked weeks ago and now is probably even more yeah. pertinent. And then on Sunday, we're having a roundtable discussion with activists from Ireland, Andorra, Gibraltar and Malta. So an international perspective on what's happening there. And Leitrim Abortion Rights Campaign are launching a short film called Normal People Need Abortions. So yeah, there's loads happening all weekend and it's all online. So the Abortion Rights Campaign Facebook and the Alliance for Choice Facebook are, are where to kind of find out how to get the Zoom links and to watch back any other recorded things. So that's all happening this weekend. And then Safe Abortion Day is on the 28th. And the international campaign is asking people to, to tweet their government about abortion access and improving abortion access. So that's something that everybody can do because... Well, the 1967 Act isn't good law. So no matter where you are, yeah, pretty much no matter where you are, there's improvements that can be made. So on the 28th of September, the idea is to yeah, tweet your MP or your elected reps and tell them that you want abortion to be free, safe, legal and local. So that's the plan over the next few days. Excellent. Yeah, it's going to be different. Everything's different at the minute, but it's going to be really good to have that kind of social time as well as the informative sessions about sort of what's happening internationally and from professionals as well as the practical how yeah. to might help people here using um, abortion pills. I think it's important to have something not just from the point of view of you need to mark the day but from the point of view it's just good to get people together at the moment yeah. when we don't know what's coming we might all end up in our houses again all winter which is yeah a grim thought um danielle just to repeat how do people get in touch with you if they would like to to talk more or to be involved alliance for choice is on facebook just alliance for choice we're on twitter and instagram it's all for choice that's the number four so that's our social medias and then abortion rights campaign are free safe legal on twitter all the events are up on our Facebook page, so you can have a look. And then if you want to register for any of the events, you can email us at alliancechoice4 at gmail.com. So it's the number four again there. The colouring in sheets are on our website to download. It's alliance4choice.com, but it's the number four again. So, yeah, you can go on there and download some really brilliant feminist colouring in sheets and <laughs> get creative. Excellent. Thank you so much for your time, Danielle. I know you're a busy woman. Yeah, yeah, it never ends. It, um, it never does. Back so we'll see what they've got planned next. I'm joined on the phone by Anna Carnegie from the Abortion Rights Campaign. Hello, Anna. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Perhaps the best place for us to start is we were all very excited in 2018 that Ireland had grasped the nettle and given women some more rights. I know things are never as simple as they seem at first. So perhaps we could start by you just giving us a rough idea of what the current situation is for women seeking an abortion in Ireland. How simple a task is that? That's a bit of a mixed question. Obviously, the 25th of May 2018 was an incredible day. We repealed a really restrictive law and gave people the basic bodily autonomy to be able to access abortion in Ireland under certain circumstances. So as of January 2019, we had a law introduced which allows abortion in the Republic of Ireland under certain circumstances. So two-thirds of our population voted and said that they wanted to give people access to care at home. And January 2019, that legislation was introduced 
in terms of how easy or difficult it is to get an abortion in Ireland, we know during the summer statistics were released stating the number of people who have accessed abortion in Ireland to date. So in 2019, 6,666 people were able to get an abortion in Ireland at home in their own health service. So that's an incredible achievement. Yes, um, And that is a testament to all the work that's been done. Unfortunately, in the same year, 375 people also travelled to the UK. Those are the numbers that we know about. There are people who gave Irish addresses and they travelled to the UK to obtain the care that they still aren't able to get at home. We know that the law works well for people who live in large urban centres, realise they're pregnant quite quickly. They still have a few hoops to jump through, but they're able to go to their GP and get the medical care they need. For people who are over 12 weeks pregnancy, and our act defines 12 weeks of pregnancy as it's basically 10 weeks since conception. So that's something that's not always widely known. But for people who are over 12 weeks, it becomes more tricky then. So we get into a situation where there's exceptions-based criteria for people whose health is deemed at serious risk, and it's up to medics to interpret what that means. Similar in cases of fatal fetal abnormality, the clause is a condition where the fetus is not likely to survive beyond 28 days of birth. And obviously that's an incredibly difficult thing for a medic to be able to define. And in practice, we know that the law is being interpreted very conservatively because we still have criminal sanctions in place for providers. So for people in rural areas where there aren't any providers, there's still counties in Ireland where you can't get an abortion, you have to travel. We've replaced boats and planes with buses and trains. It really depends on your circumstances. People who have the privilege and who happen to have regular menstrual cycles, who know that they're pregnant quite quickly, yes, the law works, albeit clunkily. But for people who don't fit into those categories, it's still incredibly problematic. The last time we were in Ireland, we spoke to Paula, who was representing the group Mm. from Kerry. And she had some concerns that a kind of conscientious objector status may be taken up by more rural doctors. Is that part of what the problem is? Yes, we define it as refusal of care. So refusal of care is... We know anecdotally that that is a big problem. We don't need to have that as a criteria in our act, but we did put that in place and that, yeah, we have seen that play out anecdotally in terms of people not being able to get the care that they need in their local counties or in their local area even. So you might be in counties like Kerry or Cork, it's a massive geographic areas you might have to drive a long way to be able to find your nearest provider we've got a a linked problem I suppose and that we've got a helpline where people can ring up and find out the providers that are in their local area but not everyone has signed up to be on that helpline because some providers have been targeted by anti-choice groups they've had their properties their clinics vandalized they felt threatened and not everyone has felt comfortable registering their details with the My Options helpline service. So that acts as a further barrier then because you ring up and you don't know that actually the GP down the road from you might be a provider. It also adds to this stigma where abortion isn't seen as a normal part of any basic health service. Yeah. It's seen as this other. So those elements have certainly been a challenge. And again, as the activist from Kerry was saying, it tends to be more of a problem in more rural areas. One 
really positive element of the act. We said that it needed to be free. Ark's mandate is free, safe, legal and mm. local abortion for anyone who wants or needs it. And abortion is actually free for people who are residents in the Republic of Ireland. Obviously, that captures a large group of people. As you say, anyone who has to travel incurs additional costs, but it also locks out people from Northern Ireland. Abortion has been legislated for in the North, and I know you're speaking to activists in the North who will speak a lot more eloquently to the situation up there, but there are people who, for whatever reason, might need to access services in the Republic, and they face a fee of up to 450 euros. Wow. Um, which is obviously, yeah, astronomical. And GPs can charge what they like for that, but that's it's massive. And I think what's ended up happening is people pre-COVID anyway, certainly people were opting to travel to the UK where, yes, your travel and everything isn't necessarily covered, but you can access the service in England. I'm guessing that COVID has had some effect, not least because it may be in a social effect, in that perhaps it's easier for people not to know that you are going to have an abortion. Perhaps, you know, your parents or your husband, if you're in, in that situation where you, you can't tell people, if if you're going to have to think of a very good reason to actually leave the house in lockdown, what other sort of worries are you are you facing with that situation? A big concern that we had and still have is around those people who still need to travel to England. At the moment, if they do that, they're really risking their health and the health of everyone around them. And obviously, as you say, they will need to give a reason for being out of the country and having to quarantine when they come back. So we've really advocated that the government should, they should be doing this anyway, but given the exceptional circumstances we're in at the moment, they should be relaxing some of the criteria around abortions after 12 weeks because it is a serious risk to our health if we're expected to travel to another country. Certainly in earlier days, the risk of contracting COVID in England was disproportionately higher than contracting it in Ireland. So you're sending people to a country where they're actually quite likely to contract something if they're coming into contact with a huge number of people which would be on planes and public transport that poses a serious risk to the health and well-being of people who are just trying to access a service that they should be able to access at home and that in fact the people of Ireland voted for yeah so we voted for safe and legal abortion that's what should be available One positive element, I suppose, has been that Ireland were, I think, the first European country, if I'm correct. Certainly we're early in rolling a telemedicine, so remote consultation for people so that they could take the abortion pill at home safely and effectively and could, it's very much at the choice and discretion of the person themselves. If they want to contact a GP or come into a GP's surgery at any stage in the practice they can do that but they have that choice and again that's something that we've been pushing for from the beginning to give people that choice and to give the autonomy back to them people don't need to visit the clinic on several occasions if they don't want to or choose to that's something that we are hoping will stay I know anecdotally we've actually got an event on this weekend where we're going to have a lot of providers talking about how the service has been running. Um, and I, I know anecdotally that they've got quite positive things to say, very positive things to say about the rollout of remote consultations. So that is one benefit that we've been able to see. And it does prove that the government can introduce these things relatively quickly. Yeah. We were promised safe access zones outside of clinics to prevent the kind of harassment that I referred to earlier and the harassment that GPs, surgery staff and patients and local residents face on sometimes a daily basis. We're still waiting for 
that legislation to be introduced. It was meant to be coming in at the same time as the Health Act came in. And yeah, there there wasn't much movement. I know everything changed as of March, but there wasn't much movement even prior to that. So we know that they can do it and we, we do need to see those sort of things being taken action on. So Monday is International Safe Abortion Day. I have spoken to Danielle at the Alliance for Choice, and I know you're doing some things together. Is there any other events that you've got that you'd like people to be aware of that they can come and take part in? On International Safe Abortion Day, which is Monday, ARC are going to be launching a survey. As people may or may not know, our legislation's up for review at the end of 2021 and it's really crucial that any changes to that legislation are informed by people who've been using the service or people who've tried to use the service. So we're asking anyone who has accessed abortion in Ireland or tried to get an abortion in Ireland and had to go elsewhere or do something else to fill in this survey participation is completely voluntary or completely anonymous basically we just want to hear people's experiences with the service so that that can inform what we go on to recommend when the legislation is reviewed there are certain areas that we certainly think are problematic and need to be addressed but our recommendations aren't going to be nearly as powerful as people who've tried and engaged with services in the Republic as those people's testimonies are going to be. Um, Personal testimonies were a hugely important element of the repeal campaign. That's what changed a lot of people's minds. That's what convinced two-thirds of the electorate that a person's right to choose was a reason why we shouldn't have this really restrictive law anymore. So it really is vital that people feel able to share their stories in a safe and anonymous way that will hopefully help us see improvements to the law in the longer term. We know that the law isn't fit for purpose at the moment. We know there's 375 people that are recorded as traveling to England last year. That's 375 too many we shouldn't have a situation where we're still exporting our healthcare. We voted categorically to stop doing that. And obviously, there's elements in the law and how it's interpreted that are making that impossible. And those are things that really need to change. So we will have the survey up on all of our platforms. It'll be up for a couple of months at least. We want to see trends over time and you can take the survey if you've tried to get an abortion or had an abortion at any point since January 2019. It's, as I say, you can choose to answer as much or a little as you want. If you want a bit more information about it or about how to keep in touch and find out further developments, all that information is included there as well. So where is the best place for people to find you? Facebook, we're at Abortion Rights Campaign. Twitter, Free Safe Legal is our handle. AbortionRightsCampaign.ie is our website. And that's got a lot of information about if you need an abortion in Ireland right now, as in right now with COVID and more generally, um, and also a lot of information about the law. We're also on Instagram and we do a newsletter as well. So if you go to our website, you can click on the get involved tab and find out how you can sign up for our newsletter and also other ways we're an all-volunteer organization and we're always looking for more volunteers to help out on specific things and certainly with the review coming up we'll need as many hands on deck as we can get excellent thank you so much for your time anna this has been absolutely brilliant no problem do I say happy, safe International Abortion Day? That, that seems hey, like you a can, thing. why not? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, I am joined on the phone by Selena Victory, cracking name, one of the founder members of No More Shame, which is one of the organisations within Gibraltar for Yes. Selena, hello. Hi, hi. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Could you tell me what the laws around abortion are in Gibraltar right now? 
At present, the law surrounding abortion in Gibraltar is that the procurement of an abortion or anybody facilitating a procurement of an abortion is liable to life imprisonment because it still comes under the um, child destruction legislation. Right. So it is life imprisonment for the person undergoing the abortion or for any medical professional or anybody else trying to procure an abortion. So legally, that's what the situation is at the moment. And there are no caveats for rape or incest? No, there are no caveats. The only caveats that were introduced, this is very old legislation taken, you know, back over 100 years. The only caveats that were introduced in 2011 were for fatal fetal anomalies and for the life of the mother being in imminent danger. Apart from that, there were no other caveats legally, although in practice what was happening is that women beyond 12 weeks who did have anomalies or or severe threats to their life would usually have been sent over to the UK for a second opinion because we have arrangements for tertiary care in the UK. So everybody would be sent kind of for second opinions and then it was just happening in another country so everybody turned a blind eye sort of thing. Can you tell me about No More Shame when you started that and what what your aims were? Okay. Well, around a couple of years ago, there was a a local women's association, women's group here that was campaigning for changes to family planning or or rather trying to introduce family planning and uh, sexual health clinic because we had no availability. Contraception was very, very limited. There was only certain GPs that would actually prescribe a contraceptive pill. So a few years ago, they they started campaigning for proper sexual health services and they mentioned that they wanted also access to abortion services. And that kind of caught the attention of the media and caught the attention of of the church and they issued, the church issued a statement. So it was at that stage that people started realising that that, that this legislation was still on the statute and this is the way that things happened. Mm -hmm. In practice, like I say, beyond 12 weeks in cases of of anomalies or whether there was a threat to a woman's health people would go to the uk and in practice people would cross the border into spain and go to many of the private clinics in spain and have their abortions there but until this whole issue reared up its head nobody was really aware of one that the legislation was still so draconian and two that actually there was a very very steady stream of people going over to the clinics in Spain that we were not aware of. So the whole campaign really took on the public debate and captured the imagination and of course the decision from the UK Supreme Court rulings as well. So in 2018 our government responded to that by saying right we need to change the legislation because of the UK Supreme Court ruling and we don't want the UK imposing its ruling on Gibraltar so that our laws were compliant with the European human rights law. So they um, issued a command paper and a process of consultation with the public. And so they issued a command paper to be discussed in September 2018. So there's lots of consultation, lots of groups added input, but the bill that basically the, the, the act that they proposed even after lots of consultation with Isle of Man and with the UK, was basically very similar to the 1967 Abortion Act in the right. UK, where it just creates certain exemptions for mental and physical health of the woman. That bill was subsequently passed in July 2019 as an amendment to the Crimes Act of 2011, but the government decided that they would not enact that until they had a referendum So the referendum was subsequently called for the 19th of March and COVID struck. (laughs) So we were all fingers crossed, let's make it, let's kind of stagger across the starting line. And on the 13th of March, five days before the referendum, it was suspended because of COVID. And I guess there's been no date put in yet. No date has been put in. No more shame was kind of allocated, if you want, the, the yes, the campaigning yes in charge of that campaign so so we with a few other pro-choice organizations became Gibraltar for yes campaigning for the change of legislation but as the this was an official referendum campaign and the campaign was suspended we are not allowed to continue campaigning as Gibraltar for yes oh no because it was all looking pretty positive wasn't it the opinion poll that was published I mean we know that these are not scientific but put us with like a 80 percent chance of the legislation being changed so it was we were just there we were just there and then it 
carpet got pulled from under our feet. So we are in a bit of a limbo now. Obviously, we've got people that think, you know, every time we try and raise the issue again, it's like we've got more important things to think about. You oh, know, well, we of have course, COVID, it's, so. it's only women. Yeah, it kind of feels a little bit like oh, that now's not the time for this. So we continue to try and campaign as no more shame as opposed to Gibraltar, yes. And are you still feeling positive? We're not feeling positive in terms of a date for the referendum, no, because no. we're going into another potential winter of discontent kind of thing and I can't I can't see this happening before next year now so it is it is quite a you know when you build a head of steam and we kind of we were there we were there we were there and then we had this taken away from us so it it was a real big deflation kind of thing yeah totally to try and build up that momentum again you know and try and keep the campaign alive in people's minds is really hard on that note, what is No More Shame doing at the moment? What are you allowed to do? Well, as No More Shame, we've always been, um, you know, campaigning for changes in the legislation and we're participating, obviously, in International Safe Abortion Day with podcasts such as this. We're also a sexual health charity, so we continue campaigning, sexual health promotion, trying to participate. But it, it's hard because we can't do any public events and mm-hmm. we can't do any public information. So we're quite limited, you know, as to as to what we can do. So really it's just do, you know, podcasts such as this and social media and participating on online events that we try and keep the keep the flag flying, kind of, so to speak. Yeah, it's just keeping it in the public mind, I guess. Yeah, we're keeping it in the public mind. We're obviously trying to chase up the, you know, we, we have received some interesting statistics about what was happening during lockdown with women. Were they being able to access abortion services across the border or how how were they trying to access services? So we've had some interesting statistics from the, some of the clinics in Spain, which have seen increases in their figures, massive, massive increase right. for our numbers of people contacting women on web procuring abortion pills online so that's been you know people will still find a way and they have still been trying to find a way to access services and what can we do to help how can people outside of gibraltar or indeed inside gibraltar who might be listening get involved and help out well i think it is just to keep the pressure up to keep it up in people's attention you know there are still places like gibraltar and malta and andorra who still have really draconian yeah. Um, legislation where, and that even though people can procure abortion pills online, it's not a substitute for having good care at home, good reproductive care, which includes aftercare and counselling and any other needs that um, that these women might have. You know, I, I think people kind of think, oh, they can buy them online, and that's not that's just about providing medication. That is not about providing good reproductive health care. If someone was found in possession of abortion pills, is that illegal in Gibraltar? I I don't know whether that has actually been tested at all. I know that in theory it is illegal to import them. So we we obviously we use the services a lot of of abortion support network which uh, Mara Clark set up here in 2018 in February, so people can access help that way. That's been great, but um, I think even she is saying that the inquiries to them have not been as great as the inquiries have been to women on web. So we think that the pills have been getting through to Gibraltar, but I wouldn't like to say what position. I mean, if, if as a Gibraltarian, I go and have an abortion in Spain and I come back to Gibraltar, I cannot be prosecuted because it has not occurred in Gibraltar. Okay. I suppose it, it would be looking at who has procured that and, and if whoever has procured those pills is outside of Gibraltar. You know, I'm not sure whether they would be. So it's, it's very murky and nothing's ever been tested. And nobody has ever been prosecuted in Gibraltar or for having abortions or anything like that. But that's not the issue, is it? No, still absolutely needs to change, definitely. It needs to change because if you don't change it, you are in fact saying it's okay for it to stay the way it is. And it isn't okay to stay for it the way it is. I couldn't agree with you more. So where can people find you on that there internet? We don't have a website up and running as such, but we've got a presence on facebook no more shame gibraltar and on instagram and on twitter so they can contact us if they want particular advice on abortion services and how to procure 
They can contact Abortion Support Network, ASN, and they have their website, obviously, and other ways that you can find through our Facebook page. You can also receive details, messages, or get details about Abortion Support Network. Even though there were restrictions on travel, if you had a letter for an appointment in a clinic, you were allowed to cross the border into staying to the clinic. Oh, that's a relief, because I did wonder whether yeah. COVID had made that almost impossible, but it's good that uh, there was a way no, around it. I think because Gibraltar and, and Spain have such fluid relation in, in terms of medical care as well, where we use the facilities across the border, you could, you were able to cross the border for medical reasons. And I think a letter of, of an appointment in a clinic in, in Spain was, was, was enough to let people cross the border and access those services. Selena, thank you so, so much for all of your hard work campaigning and also for sparing me some time in your lunch hour to have a natter. It's really appreciated. (laughs) Thank you very much for speaking to us. Thanks so much for listening. And as Hannah says, happy International Safe Abortion Day. Let's make bodily autonomy something that every woman can celebrate. Standard issue for all women.